Welcome, food enthusiasts, to another episode of the Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Miller, your host for this episode, and I am so excited to be having Stacia Johnston with us today. She's a Senior Vice President of Marketing for Monin Americas. Welcome to our podcast, Stacia. Hi, Pam. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. And I'm really looking forward to your insight because you are a storied marketing professional. You've had quite a history in the marketing field in food and beverage. Can you tell us a little bit about where you've been? Sure thing. So I guess I can start with my time here at Mona and I've been here for about 10 years and we are based in Clearwater, Florida. It's beautiful, sunny most of the time. And so I've been here working in marketing um, since I started. Um, and right before coming here, um, I worked for Crown Imports in Chicago, which is the Corona Pacifico um, Modelo beer brand. So I was the marketing manager up in Chicago. Before that, I worked at a big advertising agency in Chicago as well for the likes of Jack Daniels and a handful of other accounts. And then prior to that, I was in Houston, Texas, working at a marketing agency uh, for a handful of years there. And then prior to that, back in my college days, I worked at Bonefish Grill, which is kind of where I started getting into the industry. Ever since I was old enough to work, my mom had me working in restaurants. Um, So I was a hostess, I was a bartender, I was a server. Um, So it kind of all kind of goes back to there, which brought me to my, through my whole career and now um, marketing at Monin. Wow. You don't really look old enough to have all that experience. (laughs) (laughs) It's the hair. I just got my hair colored. So you have no idea how many grays I have. Well, that could be the case. (laughs) The benefit of being able to do that and be on camera and look fabulous, which you do. Well, tell us about what's going on at Monin. It's possibly one of those international brands that people may have been using or consuming, but really don't have any idea about that. Right. So I can, why don't I tell the audience a little bit about Monin and who we are? That'd be fabulous. Yes. Um, So the best way to explain Monin to someone for the first time is to kind of put, put them into a story, right? So if you go out to grab a bite to eat, or a coffee from a cafe, I would bet that you have tried a Monin flavor. So if you're drinking a mango iced tea or a peach sangria or a French vanilla latte, in many cases, Monin is the flavor that's in that beverage. So we have more than 150 different flavors, close to 200 now in our portfolio. And our first, our facilities are here in the Tampa Bay Clearwater area. And we manufacture, ship, market, and sell those flavors to the U.S., Canada, and 45 other countries. We are, our U.S. office is headquartered here, but we also have a global headquarters in France. And we also have offices and facilities in Shanghai, Um, and Malaysia. Um, So a global brand, but the U.S. headquarters is here. And things have been crazy busy. Um, COVID did challenge us, certainly. But now that restaurants are back open and cafes and hotels and people are traveling, that all has an impact uh, directly and indirectly on our business. Um, And so our product is 
you know, happily back in the shelves and um, the back bars of all of those locations. So business for us is great, um, very busy, and just trying to keep up with all of the demands of the restaurant industry right now. Yeah, now you start, I mean, Monin, and, and thank you for that explanation, because mm-hmm. that's what I was referring to. A lot of us go to restaurants or other establishments and get some kind of flavored beverage, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, and chances are very good that it has a Monin flavoring in it, but we wouldn't necessarily know that. However, you met COVID and that really gave you as well as other people in the B2B restaurant and food service space, a challenge, but it sounds like Monin really stepped up. I mean, looking at your website and the e-commerce capability you have, has that always been that way or did COVID impact that or how did you respond? Such a good question and so many different ways to answer it. Um, well, I guess first I can start with just understanding the Monin mentality, right? And I'll get to how we responded to COVID, but I think a great way to start that off is by kind of telling you that at Monin, there's this culture of kindness and humility, but with that kindness and humility comes this perseverance and encouragement and just fierce hustle. And so you walk into our offices and there's this genuine love for the brand that's emanating from the employees. And there's this collaboration and support. And those are distinct traits within the office. So in the wake of the COVID crisis, these cultural characteristics helped our company. They helped our brand and our tribe of employees kind of rise together and keep Monin not only operational, but at the forefront of innovation. My boss, um, our CEO said right when COVID hit, he um, told us about a, uh, a Chinese proverb that speaks to the notion that out of adversity comes opportunity. And so what transpired at our Clearwater office during all of the months set forth by COVID was this epitome of finding opportunities. We stepped up, we supported each other, we we made a hand sanitizer for our industry using one of our lines because we knew that our industry needed it. We came out with a uh, a new product that was an immunity boost product because we knew that um audiences all over the nation and all of the Americas were interested in something like that during COVID. And so in the face of this COVID crisis, it led to this incredible camaraderie, but an exciting flavor development, product development, beverage innovation, and, and new launches that were historic first for our global brand. And so we flexed these muscles that we had, but I guess maybe we didn't know we had them. And looking back, it's just something that I, as an employee, am just so proud to be a part of. And then also, it, I think it just speaks volumes about the community that we have here in Clearwater. Okay. I have so many (laughs) thoughts in my head as a result of what you just talked about. So I'm going to try to cover them one by one. First of all, I think uh, we're going to come back to this culture idea, Mm -hmm. the the leadership that you have there at Monin, you included to be able to, from the top down say, you know, adversity is often the father of innovation as, as you saw, what resources do we have and what are the needs out there? How can we meet those needs? And your hand sanitizer example is is a perfect example of that, but not without that positive outlook to being able to not just hunker down and say, we have to protect all that we currently have and, and have that fear, but reaching out and saying, okay, it is what it is. How can we make the best of that? And just... I think that culture piece is, I don't know, that's really important that that whole, the way you think about it and, and the way you're running your company. And 
you just refer to that in a way uh, you came together as a team rather than everybody going against each other or your different segments saying, you know, we're going to withstand and the other one, you know, no competition there. It was everybody in it together. Did I get right. that right? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the kind of the nucleus of why we exist like that and why we all collaborate is we have this, I guess, this like central passion or this central focus on the customer. And mm -hmm. one of our mantras or one of the things that we live by here at Monin is we keep the customer at the center point. And somehow by all of us doing that, and by knowing that we exist first and foremost to serve our customer, somehow that makes us all internally rally together. And we all know that we're all on the same page and that we're all doing it for one united effort. And that at the end, it all benefits. Everyone wins. If we hustle and work our tails off and do the right thing with the highest quality ingredients, regardless of anything else. And it, so keeping the customer at the center point kind of all cascades down into this, this really great and intoxicating uh, community. The sense of community that we have here at Monin that ends up resulting not only in a great place to work, but you know, it comes out, it shows in the product. Exactly. Now, so we as consumers benefited because you produce hand sanitizer that was much needed across all of your market areas, but also then this new product line, the immune booster situation, mm -hmm. which is still available today, correct? Yep. Um, and then, and then that e-commerce piece, because we weren't going to, you weren't really going through restaurant outlets as much and stores as much. And it seems like you really amped up that piece of it in service of your customer who is now starting to order a bunch of stuff online that maybe maybe a lot of people didn't before, but now they were looking for that alternative. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We saw this incredible uptick in conversions and traffic to our site and interest in the Monin brand. And because of that, our backend infrastructure had to continuously be updated to accommodate the traffic that was coming through. But it was it was imperative that we had the website up and running before COVID hit. We were um, fluid and seamless in our supply chain and in our fulfillment so that when it did hit and we saw this in, um, incredible influx, we were still able to deliver. Now, as I say that, we certainly hit hiccups, you know, not being able to deliver in the standard time frame that we would like to. But considering all all of the different levies here that had to be pulled and that could have potentially broken open. The team at the company did such a great job with managing all of the incoming orders and shipping them out as quickly as we could. Um, but there was a time during COVID where our e-commerce was representing a larger portion from our in our business puzzle than had ever been represented before. And so um, it was great that we had that foundation in order to help the business get through COVID because you're right, every, people were finding us and discovering us every day that hadn't historically, uh, which is great. Uh, that was that was a really great, again, an opportunity out of adversity that came. Um, and we, you know, we still have 60% of our users coming to our site out, are new. Um, and so we're still having this just perpetual discovery of our brand online, which is really um, priceless. Well, and that's one of my questions. Well, first of all, in the changing of your, really changing of the pieces that showed up on your pie chart, as far as your business sources, right. really shifted during Absolutely. the time. And that really the back end, but, but not only the back end, the front end, the user experience on your website was really probably had to be shored up for the volume that you were having to handle. And then the back end on all these individual orders, instead of, you know, the maybe bigger, more commercial B2B type orders that you were used to handling. Right. And that's quite a shift. 
of throughout your entire organization. Yeah, yeah we had, I mean, we had to actually move resources too, right? We had to say, okay, you have to go from the truckload um, area over here to what we call small parcel so that we can output more uh, orders for the one, two bottle orders versus truckloads. So you're absolutely right. Um, but the team, again, the the mindset that we have here, the approach, the, the shifts with the we can do it attitude that led us to uh, success in that area that we've now continued being able to deliver on those numbers, on that turnaround time, on that traffic, because it, it actually hasn't dwindled that much. And so now we are getting ready to, because of the small parcel uptick in the last, let's call it 18 months, we need to open another facility um, on the East Coast that will be inventory fulfillment warehouse because we just don't have the capacity in what we have now. And so that facility will help us deliver packages faster, deliver more of them, and to ultimately give a better experience to our customers online. Well, and that was going to be the second half of my question. So it sounds like you had this really good user experience for those of us who are individual consumers when the B2B business dwindled mm -hmm. because of lockdowns and them closing, but it sounds like you've maintained or even increased that as the other part of your B2B business came back. So now all boats get to rise with, right. you know, the ability to serve both customers at this point. So you're just right. growing. We are in one of the departments here that often gets so overlooked and especially overlooked by marketing is supply chain and purchasing, right? Like we're running all these promotions and selling all this product and coming out with all these new products and the supply chain and purchasing team are like, oh my goodness, like we have, we're so busy already. We can't keep up. And they have, they just work tirelessly to make sure that we have everything that we need in both facilities. Cause we have a second manufacturing plant in Nevada to make sure that we have everything we need for whether it's a brand new product or existing and the incredible volumes that we're seeing. I don't even know how they can, and how they manage to keep everything organized and source all of those ingredients from all over the world. So kudos to them because they have first the patience of angels and um, organization that's far beyond what I have. So yeah, we couldn't wow. do it without them. <laughs> and then good. Um, you need to send this podcast to them to be sure that you highlighted <laughs> all your supply chain people because supply chain, all right, Station, let's talk about that because it is a huge issue, not just for your industry, but across the board. So how are, how are they dealing with, with that and meeting the demand that you have out there, which sounds like it's increased. It is. The, the good news is that we don't have a very large ingredient statement for a lot of our products. It is pure cane sugar. It is water. It is the natural flavoring, right? It's not, you know, some of those ingredient statements on the back of packaging is pages long. And so the good news, I guess the gift out of all of this is that our product is clean label for the most part. It's very brief as far as the number of ingredients. And so our purchasers are able to buy, i.e. pure cane sugar in bulk by the tons because we know we need it in perpetuity. And so that part is a sure thing. The downside is that, as I'm sure many of the listeners know, we are seeing a dramatic increase in price of sugar. We're seeing a dramatic increase in freight to get our Madagascar vanilla from Madagascar. We have to fly. If we have to fly it here, it's expensive. If we get, we get a lot of our flavors from Italy and France. So we have to fly those over. And so 
freight and um, shipping containers on the on the oceans, the cost there has just been exponentially greater than historic um, years. And so that is that's what hurts. We're not slowing down. And so it's just a matter of, you know, making adjustments as we need to for that. But the supply chain is crazy and they're doing such a great job, like I said, of purchasing, but also on the, the back end of shipping out, we're still hitting numbers of like 97, 98% order completion, which is incredible considering all the obstacles. So it's not, I, I don't know that I envy supply chain, but somehow they're pushing through. Well, good for them. And I know you as the marketer on more or on the front end and trying to figure all that out are very thankful that you are supported yeah. by the rest of the business. Uh, but let's talk about that on the front end because you are still wanting to develop and roll out new products as, as all this is happening because of course you still want to be, uh, it sounds like you're very in tune with your customers and mm -hmm. what they're wanting and uh, how do you decide what's going to be next, what you're going to roll out? Uh, you know, how do you figure those things out as you, as a marketer? Well, it, it's a, there's, it's a delicate dance to determine it because you go through this long methodology to select a flavor. We don't just pick it out of like throw the noodles up against the window and see what sticks. <laughs> Although that would probably be much easier. We go through a long process that involves speaking with our global counterparts. Um, we have a whole team of mixologists across the globe. And so we're, we're working with them. We're looking at all of our data partners trends. Um, we have hundreds and hundreds of customers who all the time throughout the year will ask us for flavors or they'll tell us what they're seeing in the market. And we collect all of that data. We've coined it the flavor forward process where we start months and months and months in advance and we go through this pretty intense process looking at flavors and looking at trends to determine what makes sense for our customers for our company and for the future and once we pick those flavors then we do still we continue to do testing formula refinement until we really hone in on that flavor that we want to launch it was a little bit quicker of a process with the immunity boost because of the situation that we were in we knew we needed to come up with this product. We knew that we could do it. We knew what we wanted in it. We wanted it to be a real impactful formula. Um, and so we launched that product complete with research and um, a full marketing mix in just a few months, which is truly unheard of. But for the most part, otherwise with other flavors, it's a year long process, making sure that it's the right innovation and also making sure that that innovation is going to translate into sales, right? So that is really important. We look at the how and we look at the why and when, and then we wow it to life, right? Once we kind of figure out all of those pieces. And so that is a long drawn out process. It's one that we go through every year, but it's important. A few years ago, we launched Strawberry Rose as our flavor of the year. And that was a brand new flavor. It followed the methodology that I just spoke to. Um, and it was by far one of our best flavors we've ever launched um, in the history of the company, as far as sales and traction and buzz and engagement. And so that, that just kind of proves that the process works. And so that's, that's really how we go through picking um, the flavors. And we're in them. We're in it right now, looking at a flavor for 2023. Very cool. And that is such a long process, but again, you are just paying attention to your customers in the business sector. The fact that you're worldwide really helps because the trending, you know, yes. may not start in the Americas where you are. It, it might be in, in one of your international partners where you're seeing these 
flavorings pop up and that can give you a clue into, you know, some foreshadowing of what might be popular in the Americas and vice versa, I imagine, you know, as yeah, you're, you're absolutely talking. right. There's a lot of cross sharing um, across the globe. When we collect insight from everyone, we include our global partners, as well as the customers that they're working with across the globe, just to see what everyone's asking about. So that community that we have internally is paramount to the success of what we decide to do and what we don't decide, right? So we will have launched a flavor and then our global partners may say, well, oh, we were going to launch it. How did your sales do? How did your audience do? What were the pros and cons? And then oftentimes they will decide not to because maybe it didn't do well for us or vice versa. So um, there's lots of learnings back and forth. And we have a great relationship with all of our colleagues around the globe. Yeah. And that's nice that, that all of you can take advantage of that internally within the same right. international company instead of having to depend on outside resources, which might have other standards for how they're evaluating things. Because it sounds like Monin's standard is way up there, maybe compared to some other companies as you're deciding how to roll out new product. Uh, we have talked about a lot of different things here in this podcast, Stacia, but is there anything else about Monin, about the brand, about the flavoring, about how you go to market, about your customer, anything that we haven't covered that I haven't asked about that you'd like to share with our podcast audience? Why, we can, why don't we talk about digital marketing and e-commerce a little bit? I, that's what I was about to say. I think digital, uh, and then we can talk about the company culture too. I think that the e-commerce and digital marketing, because everybody's having to focus on that more, honestly. And, you know, what kind of expertise did you guys have to be able to do so well in that area? Eight years ago, we really took a look at where we were with our digital presence and realized that it was time to expand our footprint. We weren't really on social media. We didn't have a calculated team dedicated to e-com and websites. And so I kind of jumped in and started navigating that path for us. And in the beginning, because our business is predominantly B2B, so predominantly we sell to operators and distributors and coffee shops, but yes, there's a good portion of it that is now online. But Many wondered eight years ago, why does a global B2B flavoring brand, why does a global B2B flavoring brand need to be online? But now as we look back, right, we're, on, we're still on this digital revolution ride. We all can say that broadening our reach and getting our product and our brand in the hands of more people via e-com was certainly the right move. You probably know this stat more than me, but it's it's got to be more than 70% of the globe has access to internet, I would guess. And it's probably more than on average, what, six hours a day that people are spending on the internet. And so it absolutely made sense for us to be in that space. Um, and we've, like I said, grown exponentially. Digital commerce is going to become the most important sales channel within the next two years. And so what are we doing as a company here to make sure that we're ready for that. We're evolving our current digital business capabilities. Um, we want to produce more tangible results for our a company. We have a full team here now de dedicated to websites and e-commerce. Um, we have development agencies that help us build and maintain our site. We have a staff member completely devoted to email. We have another staff member devoted to content curating. We have someone else devoted to social media. And so it's become this living, breathing machine of employees working together to fuel 
the brand awareness that is really growing expeditiously online around Monin. We're seeing influencers reaching out to us asking about our product more and more. We're seeing um, so many reviews of our product on Amazon and on our website. And so it's it's coming, right? And this, this e-commerce, this digital commerce that we're seeing is definitely creeping more and more into our overall business percentage market or revenue share, um, which is wonderful. I think that we'll, we only anticipate that e-com for us will grow. And it's just a matter of making the experience for our customers faster, better, and easier. And that's what we're working on, right? We're constantly working behind the scenes to make sure that our website is running fast and efficiently and as best as it possibly can be so that it's a frictionless experience for anyone that comes to our site. So it's a huge priority for us moving forward. Yeah. And that user experience is so important, but Stacia, eight years ago, that was really early. E-commerce was not near what it is today. And to be able to make some decisions then to shore up and start to dedicate time and resources and money towards Mm -hmm. that end. I, I mean, the wisdom in that, you know, as you look back now, you say that was definitely the right move, but back then you couldn't really foresee the future as moving as quickly as it has. And I will say really the pandemic has really funneled a lot of the B2C e-commerce piece of it. Like you Mm -hmm. you said, the B2B was there and that's a different user for a user experience. You know, it's more of a dashboard idea when you have B2B partners and a, a customer like an individual or smaller, that's a whole different experience. So that, that, that is a whole different set of things. And the wisdom there and to other people that are listening to the podcast that, you know, resources do need to be there. Uh, the customer being at the forefront, you had spoken about that before, and that really, it does permeate your culture. You, you've spoken about it several times, even just in this discussion. And the fact that somebody's dedicated to email. So if I, as a customer, have an issue, complain, email you, I'm going to get an answer. That's right. We have someone, a human, who responds to your click to chat inquiries on our website. We have another human who responds to emails. And you know, something that our uh, CEO here has really ducked to his ground on has been, he doesn't want like an automated phone system. He just doesn't want it. He, the person at the front desk downstairs is called the manager of first impressions. That's her title. And we've gone to him a few times because of the incoming calls from uh, Monin.com customers. And we've said, we need an automated, you know, phone system that, you know, can farm out to different places. And absolutely not. He wants there to be a human on the other end of the line. And regardless of the growth that we've seen in the last eight years, he still wants it to be, he'd rather invest in the resources and the human touch um, Mm -hmm. than farm out to someone else, another company that doesn't know our business and might not even know our customer at all. Yeah. So you just need to expand into managers of first impressions and have more than one as you grow. So somebody is always answering the phone. I think we as customers really appreciate that. And that is definitely added investment. And you know what, but that speaks to, again, your company culture and what your goals are and what you want your user experience to be, which is, which is really, you know, that important piece that we talked about. Well, right. That experience can only ever improve. There's never a stopping point. 
with the user experience. It's always about how to make it better, faster, easier for the customer. And as much as marketers would be like to be like, okay, we're done. We're done with that project. It's never done. And there's always something that we can do to improve. And so I guess that's job security, but it's also a challenge. Well, that, I was about to say, something tells me that at Monin, that job is never going to be over. You're always going right. to be focused on the customer. You're always going to be focused on doing the right thing. And I think the company's just going to continue to succeed and grow and just keep defining what that looks like for other companies to, you know, something to emulate and uh, look up to. I just have really appreciated you sharing the insight from Monin and your experience, you know, in marketing with Monin Americas today, Stacia. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a delight. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 